Well, good morning. How is everybody? Good. Hey, Scott. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm calling you out, Scott. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Scott, Scott lives in Boone, used to lead worship here a little bit. Good to see him today. Sorry, I, I'm just having a moment. All right, it's good to see you. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be warmer this week. How many of you are excited about it getting hotter? Anybody in the room? Yeah, you are. You are. You are. Good. All right. I'm not. Um, <clears throat> I think that the summer should actually go like 78, 79, and about 3 o'clock just hit 80 and then fall back down within 10 minutes. That's what I think should happen. Like 80, stick to 79 somewhere in there. That's, <clears throat> that's my... That's my deal. Um, how many of you have heard of like Christmas in July? Christmas in July? Yeah? Christmas in July? Yeah, there's some people on Facebook celebrating Christmas in July. Um, they have gotten out their Christmas tree and their Christmas decorations and decorated their house for just a couple of days and then they're going to take it back down. To me, that is too much work. Way too much work. How many of you have your Christmas tree in your attic? I have mine in my attic, some people in the attic. Um, how many people have it in the storage facility out back? Like you have a storage place out back? Yeah. How many of you go and chop down your tree and bring it to your house? Yep. How many of you just don't celebrate Christmas? Because some of you didn't raise your head at any of those. And uh, I'm a little concerned about you at happiness. Uh, that sort of deal. But yeah, Christmas in July. People, people think about Christmas in July. And they think about the good memories that happen in, at Christmas time. You get something, a gift, and you, know, you, you get to decorate and, and all that kind of it's positive stuff. Jesus, of course, you know, being born in a manger. But generally, um, some people get to that like third or fourth. I mean, if we're really honest. Um, some people do it first. But nonetheless, it's Christmas in July. You know what you never hear of? You never hear of this happening. Thanksgiving in July. Like, why aren't, why aren't we doing Thanksgiving in July? Why, why, do, why do we not do that? Why don't we skip right to Christmas? It's just Christmas because it's the most wonderful time of the year. But what about Thanksgiving? Why, why don't we do Thanksgiving in July and give thanks for the middle of the year, making it this, this far and, and break out the turkey? Look, I don't like turkey, but let's do it anyway. Turkey, dressing, Corn is in season, it makes more sense. Green beans are in season, it, potatoes are in season, tomatoes are in season. Why don't we have Thanksgiving when the crops are actually coming in? Do, do you know what I mean? Why isn't, it, why isn't it in July? Like, why can't we do that? It would, it would just make a lot more sense. But, but we don't do that. Um, I have a Thanksgiving playlist. It's about... 143 odd songs. It's not, they're not odd songs, but you know, they're, they're good songs. They're great songs. 743. So uh, that Thanksgiving playlist starts in 106 days, 13 hours, and 33 minutes. And I'm excited about it. I mean, I love the Thanksgiving playlist. I love Thanksgiving. I think that we should just declare that on the fourth Thursday in this month, we, as a group of people, are going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to have our family over to the house, the ones that we like, and we are going to, <laughs> and we're going to have Thanksgiving this season. I think that's good. So turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Thanksgiving. 
Everything's good. Very good. Very good. All right, so turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Happy Thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll be re- begin reading with verse 1. <clears throat> You know, this stage right here is moving. That's going to be fun to jump on tonight. Yeah, okay. You hear that? Okay, here we go. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as you know, we've been going through, we have gone through the book of Leviticus. We have two more sermons on that. They're just not going to be for a while. But we've, been, we've gone through the book of Leviticus. And the one thing that I've kind of learned uh, through the book of Leviticus, which has been a lot of, lot of stuff, is that... Scripture is not only to be interpreted like normally, uh, like it's, it's a poem, literally, all that kind of stuff. It's not only to be interpreted that way, but there's a visual aspect to the interpretation of Scripture. Now, now don't get concerned. I'm not, I'm not going way out there. I'm not going liberal. But there is a visual, there is a visual sense to what Scripture does. And sometimes that visual nature of Scripture is seen in the way that it is put together. And so you have to look at the way that it's put together, and then you kind of get a visual of what it's actually saying. And the visual always emphasizes what the text is actually trying to communicate. So here's the visual, okay, if you look at the screen. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not going to look like your text. This is the Philip Brand version of the Bible. Um, So took the Greek and translated this. There's no professors in here to tell me I'm wrong. So... (laughs) So we're, we're all good to get, all right? So Paul, Savannah, or Saul, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace. We are always giving thanks to God concerning all of you, making remembrance in our prayers continually, remembering your works of faith and the labor of love and the consistency of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father. So structurally, that is how... The original language actually works. Sorry. And it's the pastor's phone that actually goes off. Okay, there we go. So that's how it works. So this is what I want you to see. Okay? Next screen. God the Father is right there in the text. And God the Father is right here in the text. Anytime you see that, you kind of pause a moment and say, okay, what is sandwiched in between this God the Father and this God the Father? What is sandwiched in between? Because that begins the kind of visual thing. Well, we have Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have on the outer layers of what I call the sandwich, you have God the Father, and then on the inside, you have God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then smack dab in the middle of this thing are these words, our prayers. So visually, what this is telling us from the scriptures is that when you and I pray to God, we are in the center of his presence. The next layer 
is Jesus Christ. We are surrounded by his glory. And the next layer out of that is the glory of God the Father. So anytime you pray, anytime you beseech the throne of grace, it is not you walking into a room and the throne sitting there. It is you walking into a room that's circular and you are surrounded by Jesus Christ and you are surrounded by God the Father. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that anytime you pray, it's the most safe that you ever are in this world. You are never safer than when you are in the presence of God and you are praying to him. You are surrounded by Jesus and surrounded by God. You are in his presence. Isn't that awesome? It's a circle. You're in the middle of it. You are praying. And no matter where you turn in the room, you're surrounded by Jesus. You're surrounded by God the Father. It's an amazing thought, an amazing thought. So this little text continues It says, our prayers continually, continually. So our, meaning Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, are continually in the presence of God, in the center of the presence of God, talking through Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's what's happening. It's continual. Can we just pause a moment and say this? Maybe the secret to living in God's presence is to constantly be in prayer all the time. Maybe the secret to being in his presence is to talk to him during your day. When you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed, you begin your prayer life. When you get to breakfast, yes, you bless the food, but you're continuing to talk to God. When you're in your car on the way to work, you're talking to God. When you're at work, you're talking to God. When you are coming home from work, you're talking to God. When you're at your home in the evening, you are constantly talking to him all the way through your day. Um, I do this. I wish it was more consistently, really, um, but I do this, and sometimes I'm in my house, and I'm talking out loud, um, and there's nobody in the room, and Nicole says, um, what are you saying? And I will say, uh, I'm just praying, and then she'll say, uh, well, what are you saying? And then I will say, it is none of your business. <laughs> what I'm saying to God, you don't have to know everything, right? You don't have to know everything. So you practice God's presence. And when you practice God's presence and you constantly pray, you always have grace and peace in your life. No matter what hits you, no matter what comes your way, if it's good or bad, there is always grace and peace inside because you are solidly founded in the center of God's presence, surrounded by his glory. Every moment of everything that happens to you. And I think that's an amazing thing. It's absolutely an amazing thing. Um, Recently, not this past Friday, but the Friday before that one, um, I went to eat with um, my mom and dad, my sister and her husband, and we went to Kayville. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's Kernersville, okay? It's Kernersville. Went to Kernersville and we ate at this restaurant called the Cracker Barrel, okay? Now, the cool thing about the Cracker Barrel in Kernersville is if you want to really spend quality time with your family, that is where you go. It is a three-hour experience. From the time you get there, 
You put your name on there and you wait and wait and wait. And then you get inside and you wait on your food. It, it is a three hour experience. So if you really want to sit down and spend some quality time with people, my suggestion is the Cracker Barrel out there at, in Kernersville because you'll be able to rock on the front porch with your family and then you'll be able to go inside and eat. And they are very, very slow in bringing your food so that you have plenty of time, plenty of time to talk. And so we did. We had plenty of time to talk. And we talked about a lot of stuff. And my sister, who um, is a great lady now, but wasn't when she was a teenager. Okay, wasn't. She's nine years older than me. I learned what not to do by what she did. You know, I was just not going to do that. I was not going to have that life. But she mentioned, <clears throat> she said, yeah, um, you remember that one time she was talking to my parents, one time you took away my keys. And I'm sitting there thinking, girl, they took away your keys all the time. You were never home on time. You were always in trouble. They took your keys all the time. But she thinks it's one. I did not, I did not correct her because I wanted it to be a nice family experience because that's what Cracker Barrel wanted me to have. And so, and so she's talking about these keys. And, um, and the question was, well, Philip, you, you never had your keys taken away. And I said, yes, I did. One time. And this is legitimate. One time I had my keys taken away. And dad, I still don't know why you took away those keys from me. And dad said, I'm not the one that took those keys away from you. Your mother did. And so in that moment, I was like, yeah, he's right. He didn't take the keys away from me. The reason I remember him is this. My keys were taken away. And my mom took them. She took away my keys. And the next morning, I had to be at McDonald's at 4.30 a.m. So I woke up at 3.30 a.m., woke him up at 4 a.m. so that he could take me to McDonald's so that I could do my job. And then he had to come pick me up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and bring me home. It is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon that he said, here's your keys back. <laughs> All right? Because he wasn't going to do that anymore. Right? <clears throat> so he gave me my keys back, and I got my keys back. And... Um, so I said, well, you know, I am still confused as to why my keys were taken away. And my mom said, because you spun out in our driveway. You spun, you spun your tires in our driveway all the way down to the barn, because I used to park in a barn, and I would back into that barn. And um, she said, I spun my wheels. I said, mom, there's no way that that happened. There, there's absolutely no way that that happened. I owned... A 1979 two-door Toyota Corolla that had two and a half hamsters in it. The fourth one was already dead, right? I tried my best all the time to spin the tires in that car. It was a stick shift, and you should have been able to do it, but it would not spin the tires. In fact, the only time the tire spun was when you put it in reverse, and it was just like a little half spin, maybe a quarter spin, just to let you know that it had more power going backwards than it had going forwards, you know? I think it was, I think it was actually, you know, made in France, Thank you. Thank you very much. There, yeah, you got that one. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, it just didn't. And I said, Mom, there's no way those tires. Well, I just know. I just know what I saw. I said, I know what I drove, Mom. There's no way. And so, anyway, what, what a funny type of, <clears throat> of memory that was. Um, this week, uh, some of us were sitting down and we were kind of talking about Summer Spectacular and some fun things that we had done in Summer, Summer Spectacular over the last 14 years. This is actually our 15th year doing this. And one of them was um, <clears throat> Tanya Cornette 
had gone online to learn the motions for the songs this week, and she ran across this thing that we did called Mad Lib Theater. And we did this about four or five years ago. And what it was, was we went out to the foyer where the kids were, and we asked them, you know, like Mad Libs, adjectives, nouns, verbs, all that, and we wrote it down. And we had this script that after we did the show, we went up into the loft, and with a green screen, we performed that skit in front of the green screen. In fact, one of them was in a boat, was Jesus on the boat. It was the Bible story for that night. And it was Boating Boat Face Boat. And we sat there, and we did that script from the scriptures with those words from the kids. Absolutely hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. It's really good. But that is a real good memory. It's something that you grab a hold of. And you and I have a lot of good memories that we that we have, right? And then there's some memories that are, are not so good. For instance, I had a friend of mine on Facebook. This is just a little while ago. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, this is sad. This is pretty sad. He got a divorce a year and a half into it. He's still struggling with it. And, um, you know, Facebook has these memories to remind you of stuff, Right? Well, on this particular day, um, he had received a memory of his wife, and the picture was her. She had one foot in the picture, and she was looking. I don't know what she was looking at. There was a background. She was looking at something. And he had one foot in the picture. And so what he decided to do was he decided to post that memory with this caption. Even then, she had one foot out of our relationship. Oh, <laughs> right? So I quickly contacted him and said, dude, you got to take that down. That, that is just not healthy. He said, I know it's not healthy. And, you know, talked through that. But, oh, my goodness, you know, there's memories like that that you just don't want, you just don't want to have. But there's good memories and, and there's bad memories and it's kind of a memory sort of thing. So that said, I want you to look at this. In this text, we are always giving thanks to God concerning all of you re- Uh, making remembrance. Now, in your Bible, it says mention, right? But that word is actually the noun form of remembering in the Greek. So it's remembrance in our prayers, continually remembering your works of faith and the labor of love and the consistency of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father. We have a good memory of what you are doing. Paul Savannah and Timothy are telling the church of the Thessalonians that, hey, when we think of you, we have good memories. And the reason that we have good memories is because of the way that you are living. We make remembrance in our prayers, continually remembering how you are living, your works of faith and the labor of love and the consistency of, uh, consensus, cons- the consistent Hope in our Lord Jesus. I know it's not consistent, but I can't say that CY right now, and we're just going to roll with it, all right? So consistency in our hope. Look, you and I need to figure out how to make better memories. You and I need to figure out how to make better memories. We need to figure out how to make better memories for ourselves, and we need to figure out how to make better memories for other people. We need to figure out how to live in such a way that our lives create good memories for everybody we come in contact with. 
That is the way that God wants you to live, especially when you live in his presence, surrounded by Jesus, surrounded by God the Father. Make good memories. So here's what they remember. You have to have three things. You have to have faith, you have to have love, and you have to have hope. All three of these words are nouns, not verbs. So faith, works of faith. Faith has a work aspect to it. If you have faith, you have works. Your works does not produce your faith. Your faith produces your works. That's how that works, okay? So you have faith and there's works. And it's works for other people. It's works for serving. Then you have this love, right? Your love produces a labor for other people. We know this, right? We know this. For instance, um, Nicole uh, and Quinn just yesterday went out and they went shopping for clothes for college because he's going to Liberty and he'll be there in the middle of August next year. We're going to move him in. It's going, to be, it's going to be great. But we felt like he just needed some clothes, don't you think? He just needed some clothes to go down. All his clothes are wearing out like he's had them forever. And so we went and we bought. So our money, Nicole and I money, bought him clothes, money that we labored for, right? And we provided him clothes. Nothing wrong with that. Very excited to do that. Some of you cook as a labor of love for your family. Some of you love to have Thanksgiving dinner, love to have people over, love to have Christmas, love all that kind of stuff because you're making stuff for other people. You are laboring because you love, because love, the noun, produces labor. It produces action. And then hope. If we're going to make better memories, we're going to do hope as well. And hope is consistent. You see, there is a lot of things that you can hope in in this world. You can hope in the stock market. You can hope that your kid gets a scholarship into college. You can hope that your car makes it home. You can hope that you get a new car in the next year. You can hope that one day you'll be able to move. You can hope that your family will come visit you. You can hope in a lot of things, but there's only one solid hope that you can have in the entire world, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. It never changes, and it's always sure. So the consistency of hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to have all three. That is how you make better memories in your circumstances. Whether they are good circumstances or whether they are bad circumstances, those three words are how you make better uh, memories. So how does that work? Well, here we go, all right? First, Faith isn't private. Faith isn't private. We bought into this concept as the church that we keep our faith private and, you know, in the world we don't, you know, shh, we're really quiet about it. Faith isn't private. No, faith is adventurous. Faith is something you live. Something is something you act on. It is seen in your works. Faith is adventurous. See, faith makes you tackle problems that are too big for you to handle. Yeah, that's what faith does. You see, we often hear this in Christian circles. 
God will never give me anything that I can't handle. That is so wrong. That is not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. In fact, what is in Scripture is that God will give you more than you can handle so that you reach out to him so that he can help you with that issue, so that you understand your dependency upon him. See, if he only gave us stuff that we could handle, there's no faith in that. I can handle anything that comes my way. I can cook a hamburger on a grill. I can handle that. My house burning down, which hasn't happened. My house burning down, I hope it doesn't happen. My house burning down, I might not be able to handle that myself. I may need some help. I will reach out to him. If there's a struggle in another area that I just do not have the power for, I reach out to God. It is faith. Faith is adventurous. Faith is something that reaches out to somebody that is bigger than me, more powerful than me, to help me through the things that this life throws in my direction. And let me tell you, life throws a bunch of stuff in my direction. Does it to you? Just a ton of stuff in your direction. And it's fate that is active. It is fate that goes after it. It is fate that meets it head on and says, you will not win today because I serve a God that is victorious. I am surrounded by Jesus and surrounded by his glory. I will be victorious. Faith, you reach out, you hold, and you make better memories. Is the bad situation still there? Absolutely. But you are making better memories by working in faith toward a goal, toward meeting it head on. And then at the end of the day, you can say this, this is what God did to get me through this particular day. I can lay my head down to rest today because God caused that to happen. He enabled me to get there. He enabled me to lay down. But that faith that is adventurous, that helps, also helps other people. Other people that have problems, you step out in faith. A moment where somebody needed help and you had a lot to do, but they needed your help, right? And the faith thing to do is to step out and help that person because they're in crisis for that moment. And the faith to say, God will help me get all this other stuff done, even though I'm helping them even though it doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? And the amazing thing that happens if you really watch it is that you're not only able to help them, but you have more energy to get done whatever you needed to get done on that given day and you get it accomplished. That's usually what happens to me. Or it gets, you know, to tomorrow, right? You just punt it to tomorrow and then you get it done. But nonetheless, nothing ever goes undone. You step out in faith to help other people. That's what you do. Faith, faith offsets stress. Now, I'm not a doctor, just not a doctor. I'm not even a psychologist. I might need one, but I'm not one, okay? You know, they have medication, all right? I'm not even going to get into that, but this is what I am going to get into from a spiritual perspective. If you're stressed... My prescription for you is to exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Faith is what lifts that stress off your shoulders. Faith is what reaches out to a powerful God and he puts that yoke on himself and you at the same time. It is faith. So faith lifts stress. It helps you out. It helps you get through the day. If you try to take it on yourself, it's just more and more and more and more. But when you reach out in faith, it gets lighter and lighter. You can still feel it, but it's still 
lighter. Faith is living in the circumstances God has sent your way. Faith is seeing beyond your circumstance to help others with theirs. It's active. It, it makes memories, better memories. We are capable of helping anyone that we put our mind to helping. And we do that by faith. We reach out in faith. And when you start living your life in the presence of God, praying all the time, surrounded by his presence, and you start reaching out in faith to help other people, it is a moment that people start becoming thankful for you. And you are thankful that God is using you in that particular way. And you, in turn, are thankful for the good memories that you are creating. So what's the next one? The next one is love. Love. The labor of love. Love. I don't have as much for this one. Because, honestly, this one kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. All right? The labor of love. What is the labor of love exactly? Have any of you ever been angry? Ever been angry? Everybody in the room been angry? Everybody has been angry. Everybody's been angry. And when you're angry, the labor of love is this. You stop a moment and you allow love to wrap and surround your anger. That's a labor because you're upset at something. You're upset at something that has happened. You're upset at a particular situation. And what you have to do is you have to, if you take the time to do this, you labor in love to wrap that particular situation in love. And then you act. We do not act out in anger. This, you know, it's very hard not to do that. Very hard not to do that. We wrap that anger in love and then we act out with the love that we have approaching the thing that has made us angry so we can solve that issue in a loving way. Does this make sense? It paints a different picture. You see, everybody in this room has a problem with anger. Everybody. I've been at this thing a long time. Everybody has a problem, me included. Problem with anger. Everybody has a problem with anger. Some people's anger is like flamboyant and it's really loud and there's a lot of shouting and a lot of words, a lot of words. Then some people's anger is very like strategic words that just pierce the heart, right? And they're said with that little, you know what I mean? It's just a little, that is anger. It doesn't sound like an anger problem, but it's an anger problem because it's just a, and then the scary people are the ones that are quiet, okay? Just because you're speaking softly doesn't mean you do not have an anger problem. Just because you clam up doesn't mean you don't have an anger problem. It is oozing through you and everybody around you sees it. You're just quiet about it, right? But we get this concept that the quiet people don't have anger problems and the loud people are the ones that have anger problems when the fact is everybody in this room has an anger problem. Everybody does. Everybody does. The difference is that when you're living in the presence of God and you get upset and you take the time to do the labor of love and wrap that anger in love, then you can use that love for the benefit of mankind to help make better memories for that particular situation. 
See, the Bible says, be angry and sin not, which is a very hard thing to do. And this fits right in with that, be angry and sin not. You wrap it in love. Listen, let me tell you somebody that does this perfectly. It's not me, it's not Nicole. It's God. God gets angry, and when he's angry, he wraps his anger in his love. Well, Philip, I thought love was a feeling. Well, yeah, but that's only part of the equation. Love is a choice plus a feeling that equals an emotion. That's what it is. And so you choose to love, and then you choose to wrap your feelings in love, and you act accordingly. Isn't this what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about anyway? Love never fails. And at the end of time, it's love that's going to be eternal, not anything else. So when we get frustrated, we wrap our frustrations in love. When we, <laughs> to be careful with this one. When you feel lustful, you wrap your lust in love. That means that you stay with your marriage partner. That's what that means. When you feel, give me another one. Give me another feeling. Anybody have any? Or did I do all of them that you could think of? Covet. covet. When you start coveting, you wrap it in love. And you know what that does? It turns covetousness into thankfulness. And you are glad that that person has that. You create a better memory for them. Right? What did you have? Pride. Pride. Yeah. When you wrap love, or pride, when pride is wrapped in love, it becomes humble. Because you, you can't have pride and it be wrapped in love and do anything with that. It really takes care of it. It dies things down. In fact, if you do the labor of... I'm sure you did find that on the web. Thank you for that. I appreciate that and I love you for it. <laughs> you know, this happened in the first service too. Like I was up here and it talked to me. I don't know what's going on here. The government is listening to this, but they should really love more people. Um, and Maybe wrap some of their thought processes in love and make better decisions. I think that's, that's good. Anyway, nonetheless, so you wrap it in love. What if in your home and at your work and at your job, every time you got upset, every time you had a feeling, every time you wanted to act out, you took a moment to pray and wrap that sucker in love, and then you acted? You would create better environments. You would. And then those people would be thankful for you. They'd be thankful for you. So it's faith working and it's love. It's love. Um, last, hope. <laughs> hope. Uh, so outside of Christ, you cannot have hope. And this is what hope does. Hope is knowing that whatever I'm going through is, does not have the last word in my life. Hope is knowing that what I'm going through does not have the last word in my life. If I get a phone call and it says that I have cancer, cancer does not have the last word in my life. That's what hope says. It does not have the final word. If I get a phone call that says that I have a hole in my heart and I have to get that taken care of, that news does not have the final word in my life. If I get a phone call to say that my son's in an accident or, 
I, and something has happened that's really bad or I might lose my job or, or whatever. That particular word does not have the final word in my life. Hope says Jesus Christ has the final word in my life. Jesus Christ has the final word, not this situation. Jesus Christ has the final word, not that person. Jesus Christ has the final word, not that situation. It is not what my voices are telling me on the inside that have the final word. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He has the final word. And if you are a Christian, that final word is welcome home. You're living with me for eternity. Let's have a good time. We're going to make awesome memories from this point on. It is that hope that keeps you grounded. It is that presence that keeps you grounded. It is that environment that allows you to take your faith and work to make better memories, to take that love and wrap your emotions in, the, in that love and labor for better memories. It is that lifestyle that makes better memories and better situations for your life and for mine. Isn't that great? You have the power to make better memories. So, that verse. Can we throw that verse back up here? Here's what happens when you start living like this. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace, we are always giving thanks to God concerning all of you, making remembrance in our prayers, continually remembering your works of faith, your labor of love. People will give thanks for the memories that you have created by living the way that God wants you to live with faith, hope, and love. Do we do this so other people would be thankful for us? No. I think that might be a little bit of pride. We probably should wrap our our love in that. But here's what happens. We We start to become thankful for other people in our life. We start to be thankful for the way that they are living in faith, hope, and love. We go to bed at night and we think, wow, Lord, thank you for using me that way today. Thank you for allowing me to be in that situation. Thank you for helping me make a better memory for them. A memory that is surrounded by your presence. Something that is tangible that's going to last for all eternity. It is being thankful and people are thankful for you. I think we've, we've lived way too long in situations where people may or may not be thankful for us. We need to live our lives in such a way that people are thankful that you have showed up because when you showed up, the presence of God showed up as well. And good things happened. Bad situations can be made better. Good situations can be made greater if we just live in faith, love, and hope. Amen.